Spanish island of Mallorca inspires many authors, either as a subject for their work or somewhere they put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard. George Sand, Robert Graves, Geoffrey Archer, Peter Kerr and Anna Nicholas are only some of the best-known authors linked to this largest of the Balearic Islands. A surprising number of authors have made Mallorca their home or favourite writing place. And in each episode of this podcast series, you'll hear my conversation with one of them, giving you an insight into their writerly life. Welcome to Authors in Mallorca with me, Jan Edwards. Whenever I've sent pieces to magazines or newspapers, they've always just used it as is. Press releases, people say, you know, how do you write a memoir? How would you suggest you go about it? If you've got any diaries, they're perfect. Spotting errors on screen is quite different to spotting errors in printed word. In this episode, you'll hear English Mallorca resident Dawn Archer, author of the memoir Trekker Girl, Morocco Bound. Dawn explains why she took on the challenge of a Sahara desert trek and about the thrombosis charity she supports to this day through sales of her book and other fundraising activities. Along the way, we talk diaries, putting photos into memoirs, the benefits of writing groups and why writers should be aware of how long they sit at their computers or notebooks. Dawn also mentions some of her favourite memoirists. I began by asking her if she planned to write a memoir before she began her trek. Before I went, I was just totally focused on getting there and all the arrangements and all the fundraising and also building a relationship with my friend Sarah, who gets mentioned in the book. The book came later. When I got back, I met a few people who were in a writer's group run by Van Johnson on the island. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. I can't say I've ever been focused on writing a book. Whenever I've sent pieces to magazines or newspapers, they've always just used it as is. Press releases. I used to work in marketing at one point, so I picked up a few hints and tips there. And Although it's a great British thing, isn't it? Being reluctant to promote yourself. Yes, indeed. And it's something that really you can't afford to be like when you are self-publishing a book. But I think a lot of us are like that, find it very hard. You, in a way, I suppose, found it easier because you were actually raising funds through the book, the profits from the book and also from the trek itself were going to a cause very dear to your heart. Tell us about Thrombosis UK. You're absolutely right. That's exactly how it was. I always think about them And whenever I'm talking about it, you know, Thrombosis UK, they're an amazing charity, uh, to my mind, started in 2002. They do a great deal with very little. Thrombosis is not one of those causes that is well known. It's not, if you like, one of the high profile issues. It should be because one in four deaths worldwide are clot related, which is a shocking statistic. The amount that they do with small amounts of money is quite incredible. They're involved in research. They're involved in uh, support. They have a wealth of information on their website. If you go onto the Thrombosis UK website, there is masses of stuff, lots of downloadable leaflets that tell you all about issues that are clot related. What I would say is that what I'm actually talking about are venous thrombosis. So we're talking about clots in the veins, as opposed to heart attacks and strokes, which equally are clots, but they're in the arteries. It has a completely different mechanism. It's not very well known compared to the heart attack and stroke 
kind of field. So venous thromboembolism, that can sounds very grand, but it can be um, a blood clot in your leg, which is known as a DVT, which I think most people have heard of, deep vein thrombosis. It can be a blood clot in your uh, lung, which is a pulmonary embolism. I had both of those. I had a clot in my leg that I knew absolutely nothing about. And a piece of that broke off and went to my lung. And it wasn't until I had lung pain, excruciating pain in my back, actually, that I was aware that there was any issue at all. Now, I have an underlying condition, which I inherited a bit of a double whammy because I inherited this clotting condition from both of my parents. Fat 5 Leiden is not uncommon being inherited from one parent. I got it from both. My father died of a blood clot but my mother has never had an issue and God love her. She's just turned 86. Oh, great. She's doing fine. But it does mean that my propensity to clock can be quite high. In certain given situations, I can be as much as 88 times more likely than someone who hasn't had a clot to get another one. So it does affect my life on a daily basis. And all of that kind of information I've gleaned from the Thrombosis UK They have so much information for you and support. Equally, if someone has a clot, it can be a very disorientating and lonely time. If you go onto their website, you'll find a wealth of information. Uh, Even if you pick up the phone and call them, there's someone there who will talk to you, who will be supportive, who will not only empathise, but guide you towards any other support that you might need. And I think that's crucial. It must have been great to discover it because what you write in your book about your experiences when it first happened to you, and it's heart-wrenching because nobody was telling you anything and it must have been quite frightening. So to know now that there is a charity that can support people in that situation is very good and I perfectly understand why you would want to support this charity. You did some fundraising on the island and raised a decent amount of money for them. So that will probably be enough. But you also decided to do this trek across the desert in Morocco, which for a a perfectly healthy person would have seemed perhaps a bit bonkers. But for somebody with an underlying health condition, it was very brave of you. Was it a step too far? I actually started the fundraising to go on the trek. It was an organised trek. I'm not capable of putting together something like that. So I joined a group of people and every single penny that was donated, I gave to the charity. I paid all the expenses myself and joined this trek. So that's what kicked off fundraising. But what kicked off the trek itself was getting back in touch with a friend of mine called Sarah, who I talk about in the book. And she was a friend when I was at school when I was uh, just about to take my O-levels, my dad got a promotion. We had to move very quickly. And at Christmas, my mum and dad and brother moved house and I stayed in Birmingham where we were just so that I could do my O-levels. And Sarah, who took me in, they were absolutely fantastic to me. They just took me to their hearts. And Sarah and I got treated the same. And I'm sure we put her mum through hell one way or another. (laughs) You can imagine 16 year olds just discovering, well, just discovering boys, I guess, in a very naive way, if you know what I mean. We were not like 16 year olds these days, I can tell you. No, it's lovely to have had a friend for that long and to reconnect again. What effect did doing this trek together have on that friendship? 
Oh, well, we'd been apart for 30, 35 years, something like that. We'd lost touch. And Sarah got hold of me through Friends Reunited, which has gone now, but that's how she did it. And we started the friendship off again. And it was absolutely brilliant to be able to to reconnect that way. And we got talking about plans for the future and things we'd like to be involved in. And that's where the idea of the trek came from. It was weird because we were in different countries doing our fundraising, which was kind of hard. It would have been nice to have been together doing that. But we, we did our thing and then we got onto the trek. Now, when I arrived on the trek, I was in a great deal of pain and nothing to do with, with my pre-existing clotting condition. It was something completely different. And I, I guess I shouldn't spoil it. You have to read the book to know what. But I was in agony and I could barely walk. Two weeks before the start of the trek, I couldn't actually put foot to floor. I was in a great deal of pain. And I had been very non-communicative with Sarah because I didn't want to worry her, which probably was the wrong way to approach it. But I didn't want her to go through what I was going through. So we got there and looked at each other and said, are we okay? Uh, and off we went. And the, the trek itself was tough on, on the two of us and on our friendship, but I believe we came out of it far stronger. Uh, Sarah had her issues. God love her. She had a terrible time at the beginning of the trek. And I really felt for her. And between us, we supported each other and came out the other side. And I'm pleased to say that we have an amazing friendship now. It's very, very special. It's not many people can go through that kind of experience with a friend. So that, that's a great thing that you did. Mm. It wasn't an easy experience. I reread the book. I first read the book three years ago. It was published in 2017. And I interviewed you on a local radio station. Mm. Uh, and knowing I was talking to you today, I thought, well, I should read it again because I've read so many books since then. And yes. I could feel the pain with every step that you were taking. To write that book afterwards, that must have been quite a painful experience in itself, wasn't it? Did it bring back lots of bad memories? It did in, in two respects. The actual pain I was in on the trek, yes, for a certain period of time, a couple of months after the trek, you know, I was recovered more or less. But I did certainly relive some of that pain. What was far harder to write was the section about my own clotting experience, which, as you've said earlier was extremely frightening and very painful and left me in a world of no no information at all we didn't have the internet to go to to find out about anything or get any support and also to go back to when my father died the reason I wrote about my father dying was that it was the catalyst for me to learn more. I thought the clots were a one-off and that was it. Nothing nothing more would happen in my life. I didn't take any precautions or was sensible about anything. I didn't feel like I needed to be, didn't know I had to be. And when my dad died of a blood clot, obviously I started asking questions and that's what triggered this whole, a much maligned word, journey. Actually sitting down and writing about that was extremely difficult, of course, and very emotional. But I do feel it's part of the story. It was one of the stepping stones and I, and I felt it. Also, people say, why did you write the book? Was it, was it or is it um, a kind of thing, you know, for your dad? And I suppose in a way it is. And also can be very cathartic. When I actually go back and read it, and certainly when I wrote it, all the emotions rolled over me again. Uh, the fear and a panic I was in my own clots, the frustration I felt with the lack of information, and then 
with my dad, obviously, um, the pain of losing him and, and why I started to ask questions and to learn a little bit more about our situation. You dedicate the book to all thrombosis survivors, I noticed, which is, is lovely. When did you start to write the book? Did you do it as soon as you got back while you're spending a couple of months recovering from your, your pain? I didn't actually, no. I, I did write a diary, though. I wrote a diary in the run-up to the, the trek and while I was on the trek every day. So that was my starting point for writing. I didn't start writing it straight away. I kind of, like I say, I, I bumped into Van Johnson, who I knew ran a writing group, and I thought, oh, well, I'll go along to that. Why not? And uh, write about what you know. So I thought, okay, I've got something to start with here. I've got my diaries. I, I know sometimes people say, uh, you know, how do you write a memoir? How would you suggest you go about it? If you've got any diaries, they're perfect to actually refresh yourself, refresh your memories. And even if all you do is put down what's in your diaries, you can work around it. You can rework it. You know how often you write and rewrite and edit and re-edit so it can all be worked around but you need to start off with something and that's a great starting point i think a diary is is always a valuable thing to keep isn't it well whether you're planning to write a book or not but if you're going to write yes. a memoir it's essential i think i tend to write some kind of diary whenever i travel i do like to travel or i did pre-covid and i have a diary from from almost every trip i've done Actually, I wrote a diary every day for quite a few years. And the day my dad died, I stopped writing it. Oh, really? Oh, mm. interesting. Yeah, couldn't no. write it. It would be too painful, just, I imagine. Yeah, I just couldn't do it. But I have um, gone back to writing a diary when I travel because you forget so quickly. So there could be other memoirs to come from you, other slices of your life, your <laughs> traveling life. Well, you never know. You never know. The whole Kindle experience has been eye-opening for me, the e-books, because there's an awful lot out there and anybody can put something out. It doesn't have to cost you money. It's often advisable that you spend in certain areas, but anybody can put anything out there, providing it's not so outrageous that uh, the great Amazon goes, no. <laughs> but there are quite a lot of little travelogues I've found that, that people have produced. And I'm thinking, yeah, I've got a wealth of diaries here. Why not have a, a bit of a go at that to write more, maybe shorter things to get some practice at that kind of thing? Yes, that might be fun. Maybe short travel stories in, a, in an anthology yes. or something. Your book includes some photographs. How yes. easy was it to include photographs in the layout when you were preparing everything for Kindle? Oh, my goodness me. Funny you should ask that. It was an absolute devil of a job. <laughs> it was, it taxed me greatly. Uh, I've a bit more knowledge. I went into the self, I went to the self-publishing route and I had absolutely no idea what I was facing. I thought writing the book was the hard bit. No, not, not at all. Publishing it was a real learning experience. It's all there. On Amazon, you know, you go into Kindle Direct Publishing if that's the company you choose to use, and it explains everything in detail. You can you can do it yourself, but adding photographs in is um, what would I say a formatting nightmare. Right. If I obviously knew then what I know now, it might have been easier. It was not simple. No, it wasn't, and I had quite a lot of trouble with getting it uploaded in the right format. But I, I managed to find some help. And uh, yeah, it's there now. 
<laughs> I, I like the idea of having the photographs in the book. A, a lot of people have a website and you, you read the book and then you go to the website for the photographs. Some people will like it one way, some people will like it the other, but I quite like the idea of seeing the pictures as you go with the, with the text. Yes, I, I thought the pictures worked well and it gave us more of a flavour. Although I have to say your some of your descriptions were lovely of your time out in the desert. Some of them were funny, of course. We won't mention <laughs> one or two some of them. Some of them were quite embarrassing, yes. <laughs> you have to read the book for that one. Well, other Indeed. than the fact that uh, placing photographs is a little bit of a challenge, what do you think mm. was the most important thing you learnt from writing Trekker Girl, Morocco Bound? From writing it? Overall, I mean, there's lots of things I learnt along the way, such as invest in a, a cover artist and invest in a good editor. There are two essential things, if anybody said to me, what would you pay for? I did my own cover and I did have help with editing. I was trying to do it all uh, without spending any money because I wanted money to go to the charity. If anybody else was to come to me and say, what do you recommend I do? I would say, invest in it. someone to do your good cover and someone to do your editing for you. So I learned that along the way. But in terms of the book itself, what did I learn? I learned a lot about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I did learn a lot about myself in terms of what I'd been through, really. It made me face what I'd been through. Regarding the clots, not so much what happened just before the the trek itself. It did make me see that I'm um, quite stubborn. And if I decide <laughs> to do something, I am going to do it. And also, uh, I think I do think I've got some good organisational abilities. I can organise an event. If there have been event organisers, that kind of thing, when, when I was starting out my career, I think I might have gone that route. That might, I'm an inveterate list maker. I think if you get involved in anything like that at all, you are going to learn those things about yourself. When it comes to the actual writing, do you have um, a favourite place to write? Do you write on a computer or are you a pen and paper gal? Ah, well, yes. I, a bit old-fashioned. I started with pen and paper. I did start with pen and paper. For some reason, I don't know, I wasn't very accomplished with a computer or with an iPad. But since then, I've become an iPad girl because it's great when you're traveling. But at some point, I think it's very good. I know it's, it's very old fashioned, but to actually see your work in print, to print it out off the computer, the, the amount of errors that I spotted from that, as opposed to on the screen, it's, it's a very different skill. Spot, I don't know if you find this. Yes. Spotting, spotting errors on screen is quite different to spotting errors in printed word. One thing I've done sometimes is to change the font as well when I print it yeah. out. And it looks completely yeah. different then. And also to read it aloud. It was a piece of advice I was given. Read it aloud into um, a tape recorder. Right. Listen to it. That's quite hard. <laughs> Listen to yourself. When you're talking about a whole book. If it's an article or a short story, it's a bit different. But a whole book could be quite challenging. I worked on it in sections, you know, chapter by chapter, section by section. And I'd, I'd write a bit and then I'd go back to the writer's group and, and they made me read it out loud, which I found excruciating at the beginning, <laughs> but soon came to terms with it and learned to take the criticism, which was always meant constructively, and then go back and have another go at it and another go at it. I've learned a lot about my writing. It developed a lot 
before I actually got as far as putting the book out there. Do you have any favourite writing books on on the craft of writing or, or have you done any courses or considered any? I've dabbled and I've read one or two books about it, but to be quite honest, nothing replaces sitting down on your own and putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard. There's an awful lot of people who spend an awful lot of time talking about how to write. And actually, you can't ever learn that unless you actually write. Yes, you could spend the rest of your life reading books on the craft and not actually get any writing done. Yeah, there's an awful lot of that, especially on on Facebook and, and on the computer and stuff, you know, and on the internet. And yes, you can spend all your life learning how to do it until you actually sit down and get on with it. You can't get anywhere. Sounds as though you found the whole writing group experience a useful one. You found a, a supportive group. Very much so. I, th- I think it's, it's a very useful tool. It, I, did, I did find it, like I said, I used the word excruciating. And at first it was reading my own work and listening to what people had to say about it. Goodness me. You know, I'd go home and i think, oh, my God, why am I doing this? <laughs> it's all a load of rubbish, I thought. But once I sat down and looked at the comments and then actually reviewed my writing, because it might make perfect sense to me, but what about other people? They have to make perfect sense of it. And sometimes what's blindingly obvious to, to the writer, if you've not made it clear to your readers, there's a miscommunication if they're not understanding what it is you're trying to say you haven't got it written sufficiently well to convey that so it's important to be able to share your work with someone else i wonder how many people have self-published without letting anyone else read their material uh judging from some of the stuff i've read over the years probably quite a few (laughs) for anybody who's thinking about writing i don't know if you find this yourself but there are many many groups on Facebook, where you can actually upload your work. I mean, you have to be sure to choose a reputable one, of course, but just little excerpts of your work and then critiques, which can be very useful. It's a very hard thing. There's a lot of criticism comes your way. You know, it's wonderful when you get good reviews, but there will be critique. You know, that's that's part of a writer's life. If you're going to send your book off the traditional route, then you're going to get KBs, not backs. <laughs> and it's all part of being an author, being a writer. How do you cope with that sort of thing if you've had any? Pick yourself up and carry on. If there's a critique with it, then obviously take that to heart and have a look at your work and reassess. You know, not everybody's going to like everything you write. And, and if you're going to go the traditional route with traditional publishers, there's only certain publishers who will be interested in your work or, you know, they may say you're not the right fit. Or, But many famous authors have had many, many rejection letters yes. before the books are published. Did you ever consider going down the traditional publishing route? I looked at it. I dipped my toe in tentatively, but... I realised that I just didn't think it was right for me. And also, there's a lot of advantages to going the self-published route because you have far more control over your work and you have more of the money comes your way. And these days, the more I hear about the traditional publishing route, the more I hear that that, that dreaded word marketing <laughs> yes. and selling book are pretty much down to you, whether you use a traditional publisher or not. I'm finding that increasingly being talked about on the internet. So I think there's a lot to be said for self-publishing. 
but it self-publishing does not mean not being professional well dawn you've got some marketing experience so that's been quite useful how did you go about marketing that book from the moment that it was ready and it was there on amazon i've tried lots of routes all sorts of things every newspaper in every area that i've ever lived in has had an article about it one or two magazines have picked it up i've joined all sorts of groups on facebook there's a wonderful group that I will talk about called We Love Memoirs, and I, they're on Facebook, and I really wish I'd found them years ago, in fact, before I published, because they are the, the best group I've ever come across and very, very supportive. Now, you are not allowed to talk about your work on We Love Memoirs, not allowed to talk about your work at all. It's all about building relationships. That's a really important part of, of selling your work is to build relationships with people. There's a lot talked about uh, building up your email lists and that kind of thing, getting your work out to people so that they know you as a person. I find it if I meet a group of people and talk about my book, they buy it from me. It's very different meeting the person that it's about to just reading about it on the internet. There's dozens and dozens of, again, books written about marketing and selling books. It's most, most authors' biggest night, nightmare, I find. And it's a, an awfully big pool of, of people producing books in the same genre as you are. So you have to stand out. But things like podcasts, things like book bloggers taking an interest in you, having reviews, people picking up and doing reviews of your book, and also people who just buy your book, leaving a review is very, very important for other people to see. If, if you go onto Amazon, you'll see that the, a book will be there and there'll be a number of reviews and they'll say what they think about the book. And quite often, I don't know how you find it when you, if you use Amazon to buy books, but I certainly go along and have a little squint at the reviews and the book blurb and the description and, and get a feel. You can also look inside. There's a really good thing on, on Amazon where you, you click onto the picture of the book and often you can have a, a read of an excerpt, you know, the beginning of the book. And that gives you a flavour for the person's writing. And, uh, but the, the most useful thing for me as an author are the reviews that people leave. So important. I've started to do that. You, you, you asked if I was writing. Uh, certainly, I do do book reviews. I write book reviews of any memoirs that I've read because I know how important it is. It's a bit of payback, if you like. You know, I've read your book. This is what I think. And yes. then I put it on my Facebook pages and Twitter. And, you know, it's all a little bit of extra promotion for that author. And, and then, We Love Memoir is really useful for that. And they also have an author's group. The, the thing about We Love Memoirs on Facebook is that, is that you don't have to be a writer. You just like to read memoirs great you know get involved it's a wonderful one but they also have an authors group purely for authors to talk about their work you seem to enjoy reading that particular genre is it your favorite genre and and if so why well it wasn't but it is now <laughs> <laughs> i think it's partly that i didn't read a lot of memoirs before but since i found this particular group there are a number of authors whose work I really enjoy. There's a lady called Beth Haslam who, who has written five books about her adventures moving to France and, and how they live over there. And Victoria Tweed, who's a, a New York Times 
winning writer you know she's she, i think she's very well known and she's written a number of books about moving to spain and valerie poor who has written about her experiences living in south africa and now living on barges and i sort of started to read their books and, and i i thought you know i'm really enjoying these real people i'm not interested in celebrity memoirs i really like the ones of real people maybe people like us who've moved from from the uk and built a, a new life in a new country and the adventures you have along the way it can be very interesting to read about yes yes and, and we'll look at things like books by anna nicholas and peter carr peter yeah. mail in france they're, they're yeah. those are books that have i've enjoyed reading over the years partly the inspiration yeah. for moving to be honest oh that's interesting yes i remember when peter mail first came out first started and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. And uh, yes, Anna Nicholas's books, you know, uh, there, there's so much detail about about Mallorca and and lifestyle there and 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 the culture, you yes. know. And I love when people weave all that kind of thing into into their books. I loved your book, but I have to uh, admit, Dawn, that I won't be rushing off to do a trek in Morocco anytime soon. Will you not? No. Will you not? <laughs> do you know what? I have to say, there were some incredible moments. The desert is such a, a wonderful or inspiring place to be. And whilst it was tough, it was an amazing thing to do. And it's such a beautiful place to be. When I talk to people about going to do a trek through the desert, not one single person said, oh, I'd love to do that. Everybody <laughs> said, you must be mad. But in actual fact, it's a brilliant place to be. I know I put some descriptions in about the night skies and the noises, the smells, the sounds of, of, of the place. You, you look at a desert and think there's nothing there, but that's not true. It's really not true. And actually trekking through it, I just wish I hadn't been in so much pain because, because there were elements of it that were just fabulous. So it wasn't a dreary, awful experience. It was tough because I was in pain, but yes. it was a brilliant experience. Life-changing. Would you and do it again? Would I do a trek through the desert again? Yes. Probably. I'm mad enough to do <laughs> Mad enough, mad enough to try most things, to be perfectly honest. I don't think I need to do a trek through the desert again. But my fundraising continues for Thrombosis UK. And certainly I, I keep trying to come up with some interesting and adventurous things to do. Shortly after, in fact, the year after the trek, I did do the walk from the centre of Palma to Luke Monastery, which happens every year. Which um, I've always wanted to do and never done. <laughs> Oh, you should. We should I do always it together. Forget about, yes, yes, let's do it. I'd love it's to do it. It's great fun. Oh, my goodness me. It's great fun. It is tough, I have to say. It's, what, about 35 miles? And you walk through the night. You start at 11 o'clock at night and you walk through the night because it's in August, beginning it's of August. It's too hot, isn't but it, in the day? It's lovely to walk in at night. It, it is hard going. And the very steep bit up into the mountains to the monastery is at your low point because you've been walking all night and you get to about five or six a.m and then you're off up the steepest part and it's tough but there was a real sense of camaraderie and fun lots of young people who maybe didn't do the whole trek i don't know i think they were quite <laughs> distracted by other things but uh, it was a great experience and uh, you have to do some training for sure but yeah, we should do it together. It would be fun. That, that would be, be good. Fun. Every year I forget until about a week before it's going to happen. And no good. Absolutely last year no it good. didn't happen at all because of the pandemic. No. So, yes, that yeah. would be good. You, you've experienced yeah. it. Have you not been tempted to write about it in a short memoir? Well, there's a thought. 
Never say never. <laughs> no, no, one hasn't come. I keep getting distracted by other things, but you're absolutely right. That could be could be something that I could put together. Just a short a short one. Yes. Watch out, Kindle. 99p job coming up. <laughs> <laughs> All the profits from your book go to your chosen charity, Thrombosis UK. It's available in Kindle. It's also available in paperback as well, isn't it? Yes. Obviously, you have to go to Amazon to get the Kindle version. If you want the paperback, you can buy that, obviously, on, on Amazon as well. But you can also buy it on the island in the lovely Kay Halley's uh, Universal Bookshop and nice price, have some copies available, or you can come direct to me. You can find me on Facebook and look for Tracker Girl. Tracker Girl. This is the Tracker Girl here on the yes, other end Tracker of the Zoom. Girl. I couldn't believe it when I, I got Tracker Girl from going on to Just Giving to open my fundraising page. And I thought, what name shall I have? And I thought it would Tracker Girl would have been taken straight away and it wasn't. I've kept it. So I've even got an email address, trekkergirloutlook.com, because, yeah, it's all things book related. So you can always come to me and, and I can post you a book. It can be done quite easily. And signed, of course, by Trekker Girl. Indeed. Before we let you go, there's a couple of things that you mentioned in the book, which I think is probably worth mentioning here, which is something called Spot the Clots, just a piece of public service yeah. information. What's that about? Spot the Clots was a, a campaign run by Thrombosis UK, trying to get people to, to know what they're looking for, because it, quite often clots are diagnosed as other things. Anybody can get a clot, including athletes. You would think that that's not possible. But athletes who just run a marathon then get on a plane and are possibly dehydrated, the prime candidates for having a clot. I think it's very common to think of clots as quite often travel-related. You know, you might get a DVT from being on a plane. The chances of that are quite slim. It's far more likely that you will get a clot from being in hospital. And 50 to 60 percent of all venous clots occur either during a hospital stay or up to three months afterwards. That's quite which shocking. Is quite, it yeah. is shocking. You're 100 times more likely to get one in hospital than you are on an airplane. You have to know what to look for. Now, if, if you have a pain in your leg, an unexplained ongoing pain in your leg muscle, then, you know, perhaps start asking questions. Obviously, if your leg is swollen, if hot to the touch, anything like that, there's any redness around the area, then you need to go and get it investigated. And if you're lightheaded or you black out or you have breathlessness or coughing can be an indication of a clot in the lung. Of course, that's all a bit complicated these days because that's COVID as yes, well. Yes, it, It's quite problematic. And certainly the COVID epidemic has raised a lot of questions and raised the profile of clots because there is spontaneous clotting within COVID. I am no more likely to get COVID than anyone else. How I would fare if I got it, I don't know. But I do currently now take anticoagulants on a daily basis I know in the book I say that I haven't had to face that yet. Well, I had to face up to that one. I'm now 61. Age is a prime factor for me with my underlying conditions. And I had some uh, other issues that needed attending to. So I now take anticoagulants every day. And they do give you anticoagulants in hospital if you're being treated for COVID. Oh, that's interesting. Well, you look very well. You. I am absolutely as fit as a flea. Anybody says to me, how are you? I go, I haven't got any problems. Well, I do. And it affects my daily life. I never sit for more than an hour. In 90 minutes, you lose 50% of the blood flow in your legs. 
everybody on the planet that's true for. So we should all get up an hour, an hour and a half. Don't sit any longer than that in one position. There is something, believe it or not, called e-thrombosis. Really? And this is really and truly. It's mainly to do with young people gaming for hours and hours and hours. Uh, Just sitting in one position, looking at the computer and concentrating on the gaming. And it is an issue now, e-thrombosis, particularly in, for younger people. And Jockey. for writers. For writers, Indeed. I imagine. Well, it's very easy. You know, I'm sure you feel this once you get involved. Before you know it, just, just the time disappears. So I always have a clock on my desk. In fact, I've got one of these little gadgets that they call, uh, I know it's supposed to be called Fitbit, but I call it a Fitbitch. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, she's really annoying. But, but it's a reminder. I have a reminder that goes off every, every hour, just a, a vibration in, in the watch that says, you haven't moved for an hour. And keep hydrated. It's a significant issue for everybody. But particularly, you know, if you're de dehydrated, you are more at risk of clotting. Two excellent pieces of advice for writers as well as, as, well as anybody else. If anyone yes. wants to find out more about Thrombosis UK, what's their website? Uh, www.thrombosisuk.org. But if you put Thrombosis UK into a search engine, they will come up. I'm yeah. sure that the, the charity is delighted with Trekker Girl and all the money that you've raised for them so far. Do you have any idea how much you've raised? It'll be ongoing, of course, with the sales yes, of the book. Yes, it is ongoing. I would say around about £8,000 overall. Fantastic. It is ongoing. You know, as soon as I do another little thing, then there's probably £1,000 there. And I don't even really think about it, partly because it's not all about the money. It is very largely about raising awareness. That's what Thrombosis UK is about. And they need money to do that work, but equally they need people who've had thrombosis or not had thrombosis to be aware and to raise that awareness. Let everybody know that, that thrombosis is a possibility to ask questions if you have certain symptoms. And that's what Spot the Clot was about, the whole campaign for spot the clot. If you've got this issue, then you might have a clot. Just have it as a consideration in your mind. Doctors have ways of doing quick assessments, including a blood test called a D-dimer. It will tell you if you've not got a clot. But for every individual to be vigilant, to know your own body is so important. And something that has come across to me all the time since I've become involved with with Thrombosis UK. During lockdown, I did one of these coffee and chat uh, Zoom things. I was the person who was speaking, but other people came in and, and gave their experiences and it became like a round table kind of chat. And things like that are so important because knowledge to me gives you power. That gives you a kind of control over your situation. Take control of your health, know what's going on, and it gives you the power to move forwards. Well, Trekker Girl Morocco, bound by Dawn Archer, certainly has helped raise awareness of the issue. I wish you continuing success with sales of the book, and I hope to see more from you in the future. Uh, well, you never know. You'll be the first to know. You've been listening to author Dawn Archer talking about her memoir, Trekker Girl Morocco Bound, Life After Blood Clots, or How I Learned to Live and Love Life as a Thrombosis Survivor. Details of how to buy the book, contact Dawn, or find out more about her and Thrombosis UK are in this podcast episode's show notes. 
Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me, Jan Edwards, for the next episode of Authors in Mallorca. Authors in Mallorca is produced and presented by me, Jan Edwards. The theme tune was composed by Jack Waldenmeyer and published by Music Bakery Publishing. 